have to pay you for this <laughs> one dollar <laughs> hey you guys what's going on welcome to episode 254 now of the ron and don show live from the les schwab studio what is up ron and don nation yeah, don't forget licensed brokers at windermere if you need us a lot of people do right now in the ron and don nation we would love to have a conversation with you just like we did with big al today uh, over on the east side. Yeah, and we would love to just plan your journey with you. And it can be a year out. It could be later this year. You might go, hey, I, I just want to know, I uh, want you to look at my property or what do I do? How do I get a loan? Uh, what what part of the town should I live in? Like, we can help you out with all of those questions. Yeah. And what's really cool is if you're within the sound of our voice, we just sold a home in Port Orchard. We just sold a home in Everett. We just sold a home in Normandy Park. We just brought a home on. Just today, as we're sitting here right now in the Central District. So, and lots of other homes that we're preparing coming on in other counties, you guys. So, anyway, just make sure you reach out to us, ronandonsitdown.com. Whether you want to buy or sell, we have those playbooks. We'll send that ebook out to you. And then that kind of starts the conversation. It's about a 45 minute conversation. And uh, somebody broke my coffee maker. So, I can't promise a cup of coffee. Uh, but, when we come uh, to see him in person, I'll bring you a cup of coffee. We'll do it that way. Coming up on the uh, Ron and Don show, pretty excited about this. Uh, <laughs> pretty excited about the fact that I got vaccinated today. I'm going to tell you about who helped me uh, get vaccinated because uh, there's a very special woman out there that made it happen. And, uh, and I'll also tell you what's going on at the UW Medical Center was trying to get vaccinated. Also, Patagonia has said they don't want the bros out there anymore wearing their gear. Well, that's not exactly what they said, but they are concerned about coder companies and a lot of tech companies out there wearing their gear. And I'm going to tell you what they've done and what they're going to do uh, as a result. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Minneapolis, Minnesota now, where we've not seen one but two police shootings. Uh, of course, George Floyd now no longer with us, and we know a couple weeks ago in the shadow of George Floyd and that verdict, there's another Minneapolis police officer that shot an unarmed man. And she said, taser, taser, taser. And she thought she was reaching for a taser. She reached for a nine millimeter and she ended up killing this young 20 year old black man. A lot of people are saying now, Ron, uh, and this is what they're thinking about in Minnesota. They're thinking about how do we police differently? How could we police differently? In Minnesota tonight, they're talking about, well, why don't we first look at our traffic departments? And they call them traffic enforcers there. Maybe what we do, maybe we don't have a whole department uh, that puts down their nine millimeters and uh, puts down their tasers, but maybe our traffic enforcers, and in the city of Seattle, our traffic enforcers are mostly on motorcycles. Maybe our traffic enforcers are kind of like parking enforcers, 
where they go out and they pull people over for infractions, but they don't carry weapons, they don't carry tasers, they don't carry guns. Uh, The city council right now and the mayor, along with the governor of Minnesota, they're beginning to have those types of discussions. Would you like to see those types of discussions in departments here in Washington state? Uh, I mean, I would like to go beyond that. I, I would like to see us really look at what are the biggest needs in our community and how do we want to address the needs? So let's take all the money we currently spend and whatever that is, let's call it a billion dollars. I don't know how much, I don't know what the budget really is, but let's take that and go, all right, what currently, how is this structured? And how do we get revenue? So you do get revenue to the city with tickets. It's about $550 million, city of Seattle, is, is the money that is spent on the police department uh, annually. Right. So if million. we look at this and go, okay, what, what, do, what do we want the purpose of the police to be? And how do we want to deploy them? Because it's, it's evolved in a way that is no longer effective. And we talk about this all the time, but like homelessness and people living on the streets and, and drug use uh, in the Pacific Northwest, that's fallen on, in large part to police officers who never signed up for that, don't want to do that, and it's ineffective, and it's a, it's a waste of everybody's time, money, and lives. So if we look at these problems and go, and because of that, something like a property crime has completely fallen off the table. So when you and I were growing up, if I thought of the the police, probably one or two, like number one was like murders and robberies and that sort of stuff, bank robber, like police. But right below that would be property crime. If you came out and someone stole something from your house, you call 911 and your expectation was lights and sirens, they're going to be there in five minutes. And oh my God, let's catch the bad guy that just stole whatever they stole your TV. That's completely fallen off the map. Like if your car gets broken into uh, or your house, someone breaks into your garage and steals something or even comes into your house and steals something or takes, if you had a thousand dollar item on your porch and that gets stolen, good luck even getting anyone to come out. So that's completely fallen off the map. So what's risen is this drug use, homelessness culture consumes a tremendous amount of resources. The vast majority of those are mental health and issues and not criminal issues in my mind. Things like property crime is completely dropped off the map. And then also, you know, a lot of traffic enforcement stuff, there's just no one there to do it. So it's that's been turned over to private like cameras basically. So whereas in, in, in a previous generation, you might have a cop that's like, oh, I'm going to sit here. And when people run this red light, I'm going to pull them over and give them a ticket. That's all on cameras now. You got a camera that takes the picture. If you're speeding in a school zone, there's usually not a cop there. It's usually a camera. So that's and then the camera company gets paid and then whatever's left over goes to the municipality. So what I would, my proposal would be is yes, let's rethink the whole thing. There is credence to say, okay, if you're spending $550 million, what re, what kind of result are you getting with this huge resource suck on the homeless and drug population? You're getting a horrible result. How could we deploy that money better? There's been some new programs now that they've, they've gotten rid of the navigation team. The fire department has tried to bridge a gap where they're taking a social worker and a firefighter to go in where, and I don't believe firefighters are armed, but you have a firefighter 
EMT social worker going in and trying to divert. I, f- I forget the name of the program, but that's just now emerging. There are, are two units like that. And they're doing something like this in Denver. It's patterned after this. It's called STAR. And in STAR, we'll send out a social worker, someone that's an EMT, a paramedic, a firefighter. Uh, because a lot of people in inner city, especially people of color, have a traumatic reaction when they see a cop because because they've had bad run-ins. And, and STAR has actually been very, very effective in Denver. They don't send them in in every situation. And if they go into a situation where they feel like they need a cop with a gun, then they call a cop with a gun. So they're able to do that. And that's the same overseas in places like UK and all that when they say there's cops over there that don't have guns. They can pick up the phone and they can call a cop that will show up with a gun. But to your point, in Denver, where they have tried this, Salt Lake City, some other communities, they're actually having some really good success with it. So, so. yeah, I would, that would be my thing. So it's like... Let's just re-examine the whole thing and look at the result we're getting. So if you go back to the Minneapolis example, what is the result they're getting? Well, their community has been turned upside down by some senseless killings. And you can go all the way back to Philando Castile in previous uh, of like, okay, the, the training and the culture of that police force does this behavior and it's not working. Yeah. So can we take the component pieces apart? And put it back together in a different way. Uh, and, and it takes a lot of courage to do that because there's a lot of momentum uh, going in the way of keeping it the same. Yeah. What, what do you think? Well, we are a nation that has been to war for 20 years now. We've been to war for 20 years. It's our longest war. A lot of the equipment, and, and I've touched on this before, that we use in this war, we used to leave overseas with, quote unquote, our allies. So we left it with the Iraqi army. The Iraqi army couldn't hang on to this gear. We left 3.4 million pieces of gear over there. And the next thing you know, we as Americans, we get pretty pissed off because we turn on the evening news or we turn on our smartphone and we see an American Humvee being used by an organization like ISIS to kill our American soldiers, Marines, airmen, and it pisses you off when you see that. And so the United States government said, you know what we're going to do is we're not going to leave that equipment over there anymore. We're going to bring it back, and then we're going to make it available uh, to police departments all around the country. And along with this equipment, we're not going to provide any training, but the equipment's going to be cheap. So I've read some articles where you could, you could, if you don't know what a Buffalo is, the Buffalo replaced the Humvee and the armored Humvee. In fact, my mother actually worked on the gun turret in the, with, with some engineers uh, on the armored Humvees uh, when she worked at Sandia, Sandia Labs on Kirkland Air Force Base, which is very intriguing to me, and I'll tell you about that some other time. So anyway, they replaced it with these, these big buffaloes, and these buffaloes are badass. They cost almost a million dollars, and they can roll down the road. They look very menacing, and they made these to basically absorb improvised explosions and explosive devices so it wouldn't kill the soldiers or Marines that were inside. When they didn't need them overseas anymore because we shrunk the army and the war shrunk and we say we're closing things down in Afghanistan, we're bringing back thousands of soldiers, not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There's about 2,500 soldiers that are over there right now and that's who we're bringing home. Most of them have already stood down and, and, and they've been brought home. So we sell these two police departments without any training. You could buy one for $1. And then we turn on something like Ferguson, or we see something here in Seattle or even in Minnesota. And this is what I don't get. Everywhere that I've seen a shooting as of late, and there's been five shootings that I know of uh, 
since the George Floyd uh, verdict. And then also big mass shootings now have begun to take off again. In fact, there's been 51 recently of malls and parking lots, shopping centers. It seemed during COVID, we didn't see as many mass shootings. Now we see a lot of mass shootings. Every time you see a mass shooting, I turn on the TV and I see one of these buffaloes. I see one of these armored vehicles. Then what I see is I see cops dressed in uniforms that look identical to the uniforms that they wear in Iraq and Afghanistan. And some of it is the same guys. Those uniforms, and I'll get to that point. Let me make my point. Those uniforms are made to intimidate. Why do you need to have a military uniform on when you're in a downtown urban core? Because now what you've said is, the police is no longer just the police. We are not here to be community police officers to protect and serve. We are here to kick your ass. Hoorah, hoorah, semper fi, ding, ding, air power. We are cock locked and ready to rock. That's what that says. And then the point Ron just made. You go on the State Patrol website. Today, it says they are a paramilitary organization. I love cops, you guys. I do. Know lots of cops. Dated cops. Some of my best friends are cops. Love cops. I don't love organizations that call themselves paramilitary organizations. The state patrol for the longest time was focused on hiring, in particular, men that had been in the military. If you'd fought in this 20-year war and you came back, they would hire you because you said, yes, sir, no, sir. What they didn't do a good job of doing is determining if you had PTSD and if you should be out patrolling these, these streets anyway. And I'm not saying that soldiers that have gone and fought in a foreign theater and they come back here, I'm not saying they shouldn't be given a chance to have a job or be a police officer. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, it's ridiculous that we're taking these vehicles in these uniforms and we're entering these streets and it looks like us and them. It looks like we are an army. Bring it on. And if you're in a black and brown community for the longest time, I think it had to scare the hell out of you. And, and then at some point, you just get pissed off about it. Uh, I'll give you the final say on that. I don't think we need is is we don't think our I don't think we need our police departments looking like they're they're rolling into downtown Seattle or Tacoma or Olympia and they're looking for the enemy, uh, which are citizens that are out on the streets uh, protesting. I say if there is a legacy to George Floyd's uh, death and the trial of of Officer Chauvin and the conviction, um, if that does turn into a pivot point for America. That would be a good pivot point to just re-examine this through a new lens, listen to the people that are affected in these communities, and and change. Have the courage to change. Yeah. Let's talk more on the other side of this. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. This house popped up. 
As soon as we saw it, Ron and Don were here. <laughs> Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well prepared. There were houses we were interested in. They would go and preview them if we wanted. One time Ron went and then FaceTimed us as he walked through several houses for us so that we wouldn't have to come over and waste the trip. I was surprised how quickly, especially after meeting with Don, how quickly they kind of zeroed into what I was looking for, and I don't think we would have like found this house or been as successful with another realtor or doing it without, a, I can't imagine doing it without a realtor. I was just um, so impressed with their professionalism, their competence, their responsiveness, their respectfulness of our process. Ron uh, basically did a check for the areas that I said I was interested in buying. He gave us a whole list of uh, properties that were available. He came with us Sunday morning and we looked at probably five different places. It was a very smooth process. I think that they definitely brought their heart and soul. They did a great job. The market was super hot. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. All right, guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. And let's talk about Patagonia. During taco truck time, and I'm sure all the food trucks will be back, uh, we'll probably see them this fall. And in fact, when we worked in Terrestrial Radio, we worked not far from Amazon. And the first time Ron took me down there, we went to some of the food trucks. It was pretty spectacular. Uh, some good food trucks. Some really, really good food trucks. The thing that I also noticed is everybody down there seemed to be wearing these Patagonia uh, outfits, especially guys wearing these Patagonia vests. In fact, what Patagonia started to do, and they sold lots of these vests, is they started taking the Patagonia emblem off. And if Amazon ordered, let's say, 10,000 of them for their workers, uh, they would just put Amazon on there in the place of Patagonia. Uh, and they would do that for a lot of other tech companies. What they noticed, because tech workers change their jobs so much, and we know that some tech workers sometimes will work for seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 different companies, maybe in one year, it seems like they're changing all the time. And it's also one of the reasons why when Amazon came here, that's why Facebook came here. That's why Google came here, because you're always trying to compete and you're trying to draft those other workers and say, hey, we got a great place. Come see our building. We give away free lunch, too. And oh, by the way, we have these great Patagonia vests that don't say Amazon on them, but our vests say Google, let's say. Patagonia came out this week and said there are too many of these vests ending up in landfills, and also there's too many of these vests that people are trying to give away, and nobody wants to wear them uh, because they don't want to be associated with some of these tech firms. So they say, you know what? This may kill our bottom line, and it probably will. But we're going to go back to just putting Patagonia on our clothes and Patagonia on our vests. And uh, if Amazon or Google uh, wants a vest like ours, they're going to have to contact uh, another company. What do you say about Patagonia stepping up and saying, we're going to lose some money here on the bottom line, uh, but, the, but the planet's a little more important? I, 
you could Amazon could still just go out and buy the vest and then get it, take it to an embroiderer, and they can put the logo on top of the other logo. That's not what I'm talking about. What do you? I what mean, about Patagonia's I, motivation here? Though? Right. No, I get what you're saying. Because there's a I, big push, and President Biden this week he's talked a lot about COVID, but now he's pivoted to climate change. He wants to make sure, in the same way, we were in 17th place when it came to vaccinations, and now America is number one by far. He wants to see when it comes to climate change. And 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 having an effect, a positive effect on this planet, uh, he's calling all cars. He's calling out a lot of these tech companies to join him and say, hey, we need to reposition ourselves when it comes to saving our oceans, saving our planets and saving our atmosphere. So and I think this is Patagonia's attempt to jump in and say, hey, Joe. Uh, we're we're yeah we're, I can we're, see that we're riding with Biden. So. I, I can I can see that, and I think that the Patagonia it, it's it's comical in in one sense because it did become the de facto uniform uh, of uh, you know the the management of these firms. You'd wear the khakis, you had the vest on all the time, and like everybody in the meeting basically looked, became a ver- drove a Tesla. You wore the vest, and you wore the khakis, and you went in. So. Them jumping in that and trying to shake things up, they they clearly still want to sell the vest. I mean, you can't. They they don't not want to sell the vest. I think they just not want to have the co branded vest. Uh, and so we'll we'll see how it all works out. But yes, I agree with you that Patagonia. Some of that is them wanting to live up to what people think of them. Like you think of Patagonia as a progressive you know, uh, environmentally minded company. And so they, they don't want just boxes and boxes and boxes of their gear sitting around that nobody yeah. wants because they don't work at that company. Did this start with Steve Jobs? Cause he did a story on him. And then I re- I remember reading the book, Isaacson's book about him. And he talked about the fact that he didn't want to waste time picking out clothes every day. And so he has this, this pair of pants and this kind of shirt that he'd wear. And every time you'd see him, he'd be in the same gear. And then Zuckerberg did the same thing. He's like, you know what? Uh, T-shirt and, and, hoodie, and he never said that he stole that from Jobs, but but that's what Zuckerberg does. And then all of a sudden, you see a lot of these tech guys. I looked at that, and I found a pair of pants that I, that I like to wear that are climbing pants, and I like to wear the climbing pants when I'm working. Uh, I like to wear the climbing pants when I'm out doing demo, and I like to wear the climbing pants when I go out to dinner. Same same kind of climbing pants, the cool. The cool pants. And along with the cool pants, there's a certain type of shirt I like to, to wear and a certain kind of shoe and a certain kind of jacket, a certain kind of sock. And so I just order those at volume, the sock, the pant, the shoe, the whole thing, because these guys talked about having a uniform. And I appreciate that because when I wake up in the morning, I know I'm wearing the cool pant. I know I'm wearing that kind of sock, that kind of boot, that kind of shirt. Uh, and I think women probably wouldn't enjoy this because I think don't the ladies love uh, spending some time picking out things, looking beautiful and different. And us guys, I guess we don't mind being slobs. I have a confession to make. I have probably half a dozen pairs of cool pants. Yeah. I cannot button them right now because <laughs> <laughs> of the COVID-19 pounds. I tried I tried yeah. them on there. was like, you know what? I'm wearing these cool pants. And I was like, nope, I'm not. Nope. That ain't happening. It was that pizza trip. We'll see you on the other side of this. Please hit subscribe. Please write a review. Don't forget to sign up for the Ron and Don newsletter at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 254. Real quick, uh, I'm going to give us a homework assignment. Everybody in the Ron and Don Nation, uh, have you watched Flint Town? 
on Netflix. Flint Town? No, I have not. Flint Town. This is during the water crisis. This is during uh, the COVID crisis hasn't hit yet. This is 2016 when when then candidate Donald Trump came to Flint and there were some politicians there that actually were put up on charges for the dirty water in Flint. Uh, it's about the policing of Flint. And Flint, years ago, when they were the car capital of the world, they were the richest city in America, the richest city. It has just been determined that Flint is the poorest city in America. So you go on a ride through Flint, Michigan, with these cops in a city that size that used to have 396 officers, currently has, at the time of the filming of Flint Town, and there's over 100,000 people that still live there, 98 officers. And because their department has no money, no radios, they have nothing, it's about to get cut to 72 officers. When you get a chance, it's six episodes, watch Flint Town, and then come back and let's talk about it because we were talking about policing in America and rethinking policing. I want us all to watch that and come back and and have a conversation about it. Sound good? All right, I can can, uh, watch Netflix. And don't eat pizza because next time we're here, I want to see you. Be able to button oh, your cool pants. The cool pants are not buttonable right now. <laughs> Which is uncool. Those are uncool pants. Uncool pants. <laughs> wrong size cool. Yeah, if you're looking for cool climbing pants, I like to bend over in them and it doesn't rip out the crotch. It's K-U-H-L. And I wear the uh, the Renegade. Uh, and there's eight different kinds. You can find them at REI too, you guys. And they have lots of, lots of pockets in them. They are, they are pretty cool pants. I, uh, I went and got my uh, vaccination uh, today. And this is because we were recently told that guys my age that are 50 years old and in pretty good health, that we could now actually go and uh, we could get vaccinated. So what I did is because a lot of the doctors that I go to see for various things, uh, I see through the UW uh, Medical Center, I signed up with the UW Medical Center and so the UW Medical Center, they contacted me and they said, hey, uh, thanks for contacting us. And we will contact you when you're on the wait list. And then once you're on the wait list, it'll be one to two weeks. And then, uh, and then you'll be able to get your vaccination. And I, and I talked about this on one of our previous episodes. So I waited uh, for a number of weeks and then I got another text message that said, hey, UW Medical, Medical Center hit this uh, link and it's going to put you on the wait list. And then I'm like, wow, I'll get my vaccine in one to two weeks. And of course this is when everybody is, is jumping on, on board now because it's been open up uh, to adults 16 years of age or older in the United States. I click on that link and then it takes me back to, Hey, this is UW medical center. I uh, just want to let you know. They said you're going to be Rick rolled. Once, yeah. <laughs> once you're on the wait list, it'll be one to two weeks. They sent me this message. I counted this one. They sent me this message 13 times. I was in UW medical hell. They finally figured out whatever bot they were using was not working because then I got contacted. Then some bot called me, not somebody, but some bot, and told me that they were having a problem, told me to call this number, and then you would be on the wait list. So I called the number, and they're like, hey, this is UW Medical Center. 
Uh, thanks for calling. Give us your number. We'll text you. Give us your number. We'll text you. And uh, and we'll get you on the wait list. So I did that. And then they sent me a message. Hey, this is UW <laughs> Medical Center. It's the same message over and over and over again. So, so not only was I never placed on the wait list, I, just, I never had an appointment. So I started looking for appointments myself. And because everyone is looking for one now, I couldn't find one. Helen, Helen, who listens to this podcast, heard me share this story on one of our last podcasts last week. She contacted me through Facebook Messenger and she said, hey, uh, I heard your plea and I there's a whole army of us out here. And what we are doing is we so let people know that we are out here and that we are looking for people uh, if you if you can't find an appointment because there's appointments out there, but you have to find these pockets, especially out in some rural areas where, where people aren't so keen on the vaccine and they don't want the vaccine. And then they end up throwing these vaccines away. And we're seeing that now around the country where there's certain pockets of places where they're starting to stockpile these vaccines. And in other places, you know, we were just talking to Ed and Doc this week, and they're like, in a lot of in a lot of places, you you look you you look at where we're having this forced surge, and this forced surge is in a lot of black and brown communities. So you think that's where some of this vaccine would would end up, and and I hope it ends up. So so anyway, today, and I I didn't I didn't know how this would uh, emotionally feel, but I I am driving toward uh, uh, getting the vaccine, and this is down in Madison Park. And there's just a little pharmacy. It's a little health store that I go in sometimes and I buy like my vitamin B12 and some other things. And I walked into the health store and there's a sign there and people are just in there shopping. And I just went and I stood on this little star and there were just two other people ahead of me. And then I went and sat down with Dan, who's the the pharmacist there. And we had a great conversation and I talked about being from Chicago and he's from Missouri. And I thanked him for being there. And I said, what, what is it, what has it been like kind of, you know, being here and, and cause he works there as a pharmacist, but then he comes back and he volunteers his time. And he said, it's been pretty cool and pretty beautiful. Cause all the people that he's met, all these conversations that he's had. And then he said, when you see the emotional reaction, uh, that people have when they, when they sit down in this chair, uh, because when you, when you stand up out of that chair, you begin to see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and, and the tunnel's not a train. Uh, you and I talked before about seeing this weight lift from our mothers. And and when I got up off that chair, I felt that. I, I felt the emotion of that. Uh, I looked at a calendar and I determined I have not seen my mother or hugged my mother in 526 days. I haven't seen her or hugged her. Did you feel safer moving through the world in a way? Or does it just feel like a, a weight was lifted? Or you still were going to wait for the... Do you, you're, I'm assuming you have to get a second shot. Yeah. So I got the Moderna and I, and I go back in four weeks and I get the second shot. But, but I think what it like, like there's, you know, I, after I went and, and travel with you and we went to the beaches of Normandy, uh, there's some other places I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Washington DC and my son is very interested in the history of DC and I wanted to go there and we haven't been able to go. We want to go back and see our family in Chicago. Haven't been able to go. We want to go see grandma in New Mexico. Wasn't able to go. Uh, I was going to go and ride a bike. I've always wanted to ride a bike. Uh, and so I was going to go overseas and ride a bike on a very specific, uh, with a company called Backroads. And and I had purchased uh, uh, this trip to go through Italy 
uh, on a bike and also in Morocco uh, to ride a bike. And so all that was, was, was canceled like everyone else. So it's interesting because you, you, you begin to dream again a little bit. You begin to think a little bit again about the people that you're going to be able to see. And even when, when Doc and Ed were here uh, and when we were recording with them earlier, uh, you know, we hugged each other and, and I haven't, I, I, I haven't hugged anyone. And, and, and I, and I know I'm probably not supposed to be hugging people on day one of getting the vaccine, right. but they wanted to hug. And I'm like, damn it. I'm going to, I'm going to hug these guys. And it felt really good to hug my friends, to hug doc and hug Ed. Uh, and I can't wait to hug my mom. I can't wait to hug my family members. I can't wait to see them. Um, and I can't wait to take this mask off and see people laugh again and see their expressions and see them smile. So, so it was a lot more emotional. Uh, That's good. Than, than and I, and was, I mean, I, than I thought it was going to be. We're so. around 25% um, vaccinations in America. The experts say we got to get close to 75%. Uh, I think 50% have at least one of the two. So, like, we're trending in the right direction. Um, and, and, the people that are still opposed to it, because I, I think we do get folks uh, all along the political spectrum uh, with this particular show. Um, it's one of the things that I've always loved about it, is we, we're not just in a silo. Is I encourage you to re-examine that. If you were one of those folks who just said, it's not for me, I'm not getting it for whatever reason, whether it's political, emotional, you think there's some sort of slant or there's not enough research or whatever, um, re-examine that because yeah. even the, even this line I've seen a lot lately, it's like, Oh, it's only after four months. It's like, it's a different technology. It's not 1930s where you are, you know, it's trial and error. And yeah. there's a lot more computing that is involved. It's a different technology. It's a different way they assembled the vaccine. So do a little research, not from a news site, Go to like a, the CDC, read the synopsis, even if it's not, it's technical writing. I think, I think you can find a road to get the vaccine because it, yeah. it helps everybody. Yeah. And it, 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 even the way it, it attaches itself to the cell, it doesn't search out, seek and destroy. It actually attaches itself, uh, which is different. And it's also a lot safer. I would encourage you as we uh, check out today. Uh, read the Ted Nugent story, the Motor City Madman, because he did a lot of Facebook Live stories about what a crap, just the political side of COVID-19 and how it was just a bunch of bunk. And then uh, last week, he talked about, he went Facebook Live and he talked about getting COVID-19 and what it was like to almost die from it. Uh, and I really appreciated his honesty about it. I wish the former president would have been more honest uh, because when he went to the hospital and was facing going on a ventilator, and then when it was time to get the vaccine, he was one of the first people to get it, but didn't want to tell anyone he got it because he's such a tough guy. Uh, and now you see a lot of older Republican men around the country that don't want to get the vaccine because they think he didn't get the vaccine. He got the vaccine. So anyway. Just, uh, well, congratulations on getting shot one. Yeah, shot one and uh, shot two in a couple weeks. And thanks to science and great scientists and great first and second and third and fourth responders and all the volunteers out there. So appreciative for all of them. Uh, and you'll be glad to know there is a Great Wolf Lodge outside of Washington, D.C. <laughs> I've been there. 
I just want to see my mama, man. I just want to see my mom. I love seeing her on a Zoom screen, but I just want to see her. My son does too, so we can't wait for that. Anyway, you guys, thanks for listening to episode uh, 254. And if you missed uh, episode 252 this week, that was the episode that dropped on Monday with Doc and Ed. And they're two black activists here in Seattle and also two of our very good friends. And they're reacting and responding to what happened with George Floyd and what they are doing uh, in a peaceful protest called the Peaceful Peloton. If you'd like to ride a bike, uh, and it's also a lot of fun, the Peace Peloton, uh, maybe you'd like to ride with them. So check out that episode that dropped on Monday. That's episode 252. Thanks for giving us great lives. Thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for hitting subscribe. And thanks for getting signed up for the Ron and Don Newsletter. Thousands of people uh, have signed up for it. We only reach out to you one time a week. So it's not like all these other guys. I bought a couch from Room and Board. They reach out to me nine times a day. It's like, I don't need to hear from you, Room and Board. I already bought a couch. Go away now. Uh, anyway, we just stopped by one time a week on Wednesday. We dropped that newsletter. And Ron has done a lot of great writing recently not just about real estate but life uh, ron's a really good writer and i'd love for you to receive that uh, one time a week on wednesdays you keep your head up keep your shoulders back ron and don sit to get in touch with us and also to get signed up for that newsletter we'll see you next time for episode 255 only on the ron and don radio network hey thanks for listening to the ron and don show now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>